0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by
1: Narcanon Suncoast.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'll be your host on this episode of the Addiction Podcast. This is episode number 114, and today we will be talking to Pastor Jordan, and pastor jordan is a former addict he is 30 over 30 years clean as of this podcast and he has established an organization called hope alive outreach and we met him recently and asked him if he would be on the podcast he has his own radio show and he is an author he wrote a book called The Pipe and the Pulpit. It is available on Amazon and it looks like a fascinating book about his story. Um, Without further ado, let's talk to Pastor Jordan. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Jordan. Glad to be here. Dr. Hope, right?
1: The Hope Doctor. The
0: Hope Doctor.
1: I I like that. And they call me the Hope Doctor. uh, Well, when I was in Baltimore, And seeing that Baltimore was such a drug-infested place and I was doing a lot of recovery work there, I told him, treat me like the dope man, only call me the hope man.
0: The hope man.
1: Right. And then when I got to Florida, uh, one day I was just talking with someone and the hope doctor just came up. I like it. Yes. I like that. Yes.
0: Well, you know, one of the main messages of this podcast is there is hope because so often, and I I do want to go back and have you tell your story, but so often I think parents and families and who have loved ones who are addicted to alcohol and drugs, they think they're all alone and there's, you know, and they don't have anybody that can help them. And so when we interview someone like you or other organizations that are there to help, the whole point is to put hope out there, and that's what you do and that's that's pretty 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 big do you know in this particular arena so tell tell us your story how did you get started
1: on- well i first of all i want to thank you for having me here on, absolutely on uh the addiction podcast uh point of no return that's the, that's the name of this that's right and i think it's great um and i'm I'm glad that I had the opportunity of meeting your husband mm-hmm. um at the um
0: Charity Coalition. Yes. 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 Yeah.
1: Yes. Well, um, my first drug that I ever took was a cigarette. Okay. And many people don't really use a, a cigarette normally as a gateway drug. They normally will say, and I've said it even in my counseling, that uh, marijuana is a gateway, is the gate, is a gateway drug. But for me, it was a cigarette because my dad smoked cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And uh, he would buy a carton of cigarettes and he would take a butcher knife and not open the carton, but he would take the butcher knife and lay the carton down on its side and cut the whole carton in half. And so when he opened it up, rather than having 10 packs, he would have 20 packs, only the cigarettes would be that long. Okay. And he would put it in a a cigarette holder.
0: Ah, yes. Okay.
1: Um, He also carried the cigarettes in a silver case. Okay. My father was a pastor, always dressed very neatly, three-piece suit. And he would keep the cigarette holder, a long black and silver holder, uh, and the silver case in his vest pocket. And I thought that that was cool.
0: Pretty cool, yes. Right. Yeah.
1: And so he would leave a half a pack, the half a pack that he'd cut the cigarettes uh, beside his bed. And um, I would go in and I would take them. How old were you? 1958, so I was 11. Okay. 11 years of age. And um, when we moved to Baltimore in 1960, we were in church one. I was in church one Sunday morning, and uh, my father was, you know, the pastor of the church. And somehow or another, I just felt as though I needed to go outside. And I went outside, and uh, we lived right next door to the church. And when I went outside, there were some men standing in front of a house across the street from where we lived, and they called me Preacher Boy. And one of the men hollered. They said, Preacher Boy, come here. And I walked over there with my little black suit on, white shirt and dark tie. And they poured me a, half a glass of Thunderbird. Thunderbird was a cheap wine. Um, and, and they chased it with a little bit of orange juice. And they said, here, drink this. I thought nothing of it. I respected these older men. Uh, not realizing at the time what they were doing. Right. And I drank about a half a glass of it. Uh, went back into the church. I don't remember how I felt, but that was the first time I drank, ever drank alcohol.
0: Wow. Uh, when I... 11. Uh, wow. I, I, okay. I, was, no, I was 13 then. 13. Okay, now you're 13. Uh, now okay. I'm 13.
1: Um, when, I, when I was in college... Um, played football and um, Morgan State University. Um, one evening we went to a party. Uh, one of the fraternities had a party, off campus, basement party, strobe lights, blinking lights. That's before your time. No, it's not. <laughs> well, <laughs> nice <try>. it, Yeah, <laughs> And uh, in the middle of the, the party, I went to the restroom. And when I went to the restroom, uh, two other young men came in the restroom while I was at the urinal. They locked the door. And when they locked the door, when they locked the door, they went over to the sink, and I'm looking back at what they're doing, and they roll up a joint, mm. marijuana, and started smoking it. And so by the time I went over to the the uh, sink to wash my hands, they just passed me the joint. And uh, I had heard about marijuana, never been in the presence of marijuana before. But I learned very quickly, I did what they did, and I just took it. And that was the first time I ever smoked marijuana. I went out of the bathroom, and I, I like to dance, I always like to dance. And I went back into the, to this smoke-filled party room with the strobe lights and the darkened. And I never will forget, I was dancing with this young lady, I must have asked her what her name was 10 times. Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, My addiction progressed, but I didn't realize that it was progressing during my college years. By me belonging to a fraternity, it was always uh, acceptable, socially acceptable to drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, being young and in college, you know, we had to, uh, the eyes and all for the girls and all. And so we, our fraternity had this special fraternity punch that we made that was spiked with, um, um, 190 proof rum. Oh. I think it was one ninety one. Wow. Uh, and, and so we would drink the rum and, 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 um, my, my drink at that time, a lot of people were drinking Bacardi rum.
0: Okay. Yep.
1: And so, uh, Bacardi and Coke, Bacardi and Coke, right. Yep. Yep. Girls like that. But, um, Um, then, um, by me living, by me being in the church all my life, I was very sheltered. My father would have me in the house at nine o'clock, well, before it got dark and all that sort of thing. So by the time I got to college, I, um, I just ran wild. Mm. I really, I really did. I really did. And uh, smoking marijuana, drinking alcohol every weekend, um, but then lo and behold, harder drugs came into the scene later on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I had a had a cousin uh, in Baltimore. His name was Little. They called him Little Little Man. And I looked up to him. He was a little older than I was. And uh, before I before I went into the ministry, I was in the clothing business, and and uh, I used to sell clothing in my store in Baltimore, but at night I would take the tags off of my clothes and take a bundle of clothes and put them in the trunk of my car and sell them like they were hot because they were, you know what hot means.
0: Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: and, and, and so I was selling my clothes one evening uh, on Barclay Street in, in Baltimore, and I had the trunk open, and I heard somebody holler my name, and my cousin was in the house that was right there where I was. He was up on the second floor. He hollered at me. He told me to come up there. So I closed the trunk. I went up there. He was living with this girlfriend, but the gas electric was turned off. Um, but it was at nighttime, and in Baltimore, they have street lights.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I went up on the second floor where he was, and he was shooting heroin. Oh, wow. Right. And... Um, I was afraid of needles. But because he was my cousin, and um, I guess you might call it peer pressure, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which I don't do today. Um, I think I'm a little more wiser. So I did what he did. Needless to say, my cousin died about 10 years after that of an overdose. Wow. They found him dead with a needle in his arm sitting on the toilet um, naked. Um, But that didn't stop me from using it. Right. I progressed from from the marijuana. Uh, That's the only time I ever shot heroin. Okay. You know, just going over this does something to me seeing that I've been in recovery for thirty years. Yep. And just knowing how far God has really brought me. Mm-hmm. Really.
0: Yeah. Now why um, didn't you shoot up again? Did you not have a good I didn't like needles. You didn't like okay. So. Oh no,
1: I don't even today I don't like needles. Okay. When I go if I go to the hospital today and they want to I I I tell them how to do it. Okay. I tell them what needle to use. I tell them exactly where to go and I tell them that they have one time to put that needle in me. They can't be, because I had a bad experience once with a nurse who was trying to find my vein with the needle. <sighs> and, um, yeah. so anyhow, um, as a pastor, um, I never, I never wanted to come to Baltimore to pastor. I went to school, uh, in, um, Washington DC, D. went to Wesley Theological Seminary. Okay. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> While I was pastoring my first church, um, my first church was located in a place called Westminster. and It was about 30 miles from Baltimore. So I would drive on the weekends from Washington, D.C., past Baltimore to this small church. I was a, I was a student pastor. And uh, <clears throat> one weekend, I, I came through Baltimore and saw one of my fraternity brothers. He was doing well, had a a nice office downtown, high rise, next to the Playboy Club. Uh, He was driving a Mercedes Benz, owned a mansion in Baltimore, doing extremely well. And so when I saw him, uh, he had just bought this nightclub and he asked me to come and, uh, just to come down to the club. So I went down to the club one night and lo and behold, he and his partner were snorting coke in the back room. Oh my. Right. So that was my introduction my, my introduction to cocaine. That was probably in 1979. Okay. 1979. Well, between 1979, 1979, I got married in 1981 to my present wife and uh my first wife we we only stayed together for for two and a half years, okay, but I think the connection was that we both drank and smoked marijuana ah until that got kinda old right uh so we 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 got divorced and um but I was still smoking marijuana, drinking alcohol, and uh whenever I would come through Baltimore, I would get some cocaine. But I, I was married for six years before my wife knew that I was smoking marijuana. Um, and when she found it out, she had actually gone through my sock drawer. She was looking for something or doing laundry or something like that. And I had, I had some marijuana hidden inside of a sock some joints rolled up inside of a cigarette pack. Mm -hmm. And when I came home looking for it, when I asked her about, did she see anything? She acted dumb, you know, like she didn't know what was going on. Hmm. And then she found out, you know, that it was mine. And so I think I promised her that I would stop using but she didn't know about the cocaine until about five years later
0: mm.
1: and so when she found out about the cocaine uh I was passing i was passed by this time now I'm passing a church large church in Baltimore and um, well established in the community I just want to say this um they used to say ignorance is bliss. Ignorance can kill you
0: yes it can
1: and even though I went to high school graduated from college uh, got a master's degree and went to school and got an earned doctorate degree uh, and had all of this academic education I was really ignorant as far as drug and alcohol drugs and alcohol were concerned and and the nature of addiction mm-hmm And I thought, and whoever's listening to this broadcast, this podcast, needs to know that social social status, economic ability, education, your marital status... Social acceptability in the community does not mean that you cannot be an addict or an alcoholic. That's right. And I thought, I thought that addicts and alcoholics were strictly poor people, Mm -hmm. lower class people, the down and out, the derelicts. That is a misnomer.
0: I hear you. Yep.
1: I have found being by being in recovery, and I'm not just talking about being clean or being sober. I'm talking about uh, being educated. I have I have I have taken educational courses. I have become um a certified supervised addiction drug and alcohol counselor. Mm-hmm. I have run a men's recovery house for 14 and a half years. Wow. I've served on boards and agencies of some major institutions in this country. And I have found out that anyone, any living human being, can suffer from the disease of addiction and not know it. That's right. But one of the things that I know now is that if anyone is listening and you want to, to find out whether or not you are an addict or an alcoholic, try stopping for seven days in a row no alcohol no drugs and I'm talking about illegal drugs I'm not talking about pres- well prescription drugs that could, could be, be part of it prescription drugs could be included that's right b- because here in Florida uh, the, the overwhelming majority of individuals who have become addicted to pres- to to drugs, opioids started off by prescription drugs. That's
0: right. They get a prescription from their doctor, and then they become yes. addicted.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I you know, I, my mission now, um, in my life, as a pastor, as a as an outreach individual, um, uh, the mission of Hope Alive Outreach is to give hope. To persons who suffer from the disease of addiction primarily drugs and alcohol
0: right let me ask you a question what was your point of no return you're living a good life you you have a good job you are as you said high in society at what point did you realize that you had a problem and you needed to do something about it what was what was that point for
1: you when I wanted to kill myself,
0: that would be it.
1: Yes, and when I struggled with how I was how I was going to do it,
0: did you actually try? I no. Oh, okay.
1: Um, and when I say no, I mean to say that <clears throat> in recovery, we we have this terminology in the basic textbook of Narcotics Anonymous. It says. Would you walk up to someone and say, "May I? Would you, may I please have a heart attack?" Right. However, each time we as addicts take a drug against our will, especially now that that um, the drugs today are being laced with with fentanyl. With fentanyl. Yep. Whenever you go and buy drugs from the street, you're asking for death.
0: That's right.
1: It's a roulette. A roulette Russian roulette. roulette. A Russian roulette.
0: Russian roulette, exactly. I call and, it that all the time because you don't know.
1: And, and anyone, because I, I mean... I work with I work with I, this is something that I do on a daily basis so right. I'm not just talking off the top of my head. I know. Uh, I was in a meeting last I was in a meeting last night um, and um, uh, there was this young man was sharing in a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. It was it was it was the end of the meeting and, and at every end, at the end of every meeting we always say we have run out of time but if there's anyone here who has a burning desire this is the time for you to share. And this young man raised his hand and, and he said, I want to use, but I don't want to use. And he talked about his struggle. He's got about 30 some days clean and he was talking about the struggle, um, to stay clean and that whenever he felt like he felt last night, that is an indication that he's getting ready to use. Right. So, um, when I, when you ask me did I ever attempt to kill myself, I did not attempt to kill myself by putting a gun to my head, which right. I could have done,
0: right.
1: or, by, or by running into uh, a brick wall, or by stepping out in front of a bus. But at the end of my addiction, when I was smoking cocaine, um, I, I can I can remember once when I was I was smoking some cocaine. I was out with um, some people and uh, sitting in the living room. Um, had had some, something to drink was there on the table. Some marijuana was there. I had a cigarette. I had this cocaine. We were smoking cocaine. And I took a hit off this pipe. And all of a sudden, it felt like someone took a knife and cut my heart. Mm. So, so I put the pipe down very quickly, grabbed my heart, and began to pray like Jesus was standing right there and made all these promises, and holding my chest because I really thought I was going to die. Wow and uh and I said something like, "Oh God, if you just get me past this right now, I'll never, never say never
0: right,
1: never smoke any more cocaine as long as as long here I've gone into the never, never land right, never live,
0: right.
1: and i was holding I was holding my chest and um Real still. Praying with all earnestness. And then my heart. Pain started subsiding. And I felt it going away. And I sat there for about a minute. And picked up the pipe again. Oh wow. Now. Today, oh, I'm so glad that that I'm not using today.
0: Right.
1: Not Not only am I glad that I'm not using today because I know, thank you, Jesus, now that I know the power and the freedom of being free. But I also appreciate and am grateful, eternally grateful that the obsession and compulsion to use a drink or a drug today is is not there, it's gone. Because I've done a lot of hard work to accomplish that right. and to have stability in that. Right. This is not something that comes overnight.
0: It's not easy.
1: All right. Yep. Um, I just left um, uh, Suncoast Narcanon yep. Center there. And as I, as I toured there uh, with one of the consultants, she was showing me around and all of the, you know, the various rooms and that they had and classrooms and exercise room and all that sort of thing. And um, as I was looking at some of these individuals who were there, I'm just wondering how deep is this going to sink in?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because just because you go into a treatment center doesn't mean that the treatment goes into you. That's right. So I tell people that I recover the same way I used, with intensity.
0: hmm
1: Yes. Um, I am as serious about my recovery as I am about another recovering addict's recovery. Right. And I mean that sincerely. Yep. Um, I found out that it's impossible for me to use a drink or a drug when I'm trying to help somebody else. Mm
0: -hmm. it's true.
1: I I would never tell my children, or tell someone else, don't smoke a cigarette, and I've got a cigarette in my hand.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, And I've also found out that if I really want to increase my recovery, my first sponsor told me, A, helping B, helps A the most. Right. When I help you, I'm helping myself the most. So that's 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 my eternal, everyday um, trek, is in that twelfth step, which says having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry the message to addicts, and practice these principles in all our affairs. Right. And and so that's what I do. I don't. I'm, I mean, I don't just talk about that. And so,
0: you walk the walk and talk the hey, talk and live it.
1: Live it. Yeah. I, I got to live it every day. You know? And, and so um, when when I was w- would be around uh, my drug friends, they knew I was an addict. They knew when I was high.
0: Right.
1: When I came home, my wife knew when I was high. Mm-hmm. I did not have to tell her. So when I'm around recovering, when I'm in, a, in an NA meeting or AA meeting or, or teaching or, or sharing somewhere about recovery, um, my daddy used to say, "What you do sounds so loud, I can't hear what you say."
0: Oh uh, yeah 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 yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah,
1: but in but but I believe in 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 the outreach that God has given to me that what I that what I do sounds so loud, <laughs> you don't need to listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> That's right. All right. Really? Point. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Oh yeah. I'm uh, I'm I making an analogy uh in my in my younger days uh I was I was a uh, a bouncer in a in a burlesque club once and um most of the clientele were white okay
0: um
1: and 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 the gentleman who owned who ran the club was mafia related okay and so by me working for him uh I had some um, associations with people who were unscrupulous. Right. And I learned, I learned to not only hear what an individual was saying, but to look at them and see how they were saying it. And so if certain people said to you, you better stop that. The way they said it Was more powerful than what they said.
0: Right. Just a reminder that you are listening to the addiction podcast, Point of No Return. For further information on the podcast, we have a website. The URL is theaddictionpodcast.com. So check us out. All of our episodes are up there. And if you'd like to email us, the email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com. We also have a Facebook page and you can reach out to us there as well. For further information on Narcan on Suncoast, call 1 877 339. Three, three, two, four. That's one eight seven seven three three nine, three three, two, four. It is an anonymous call. Do you have a loved one struggling with drug addiction and you've tried everything to help them and failed, Bobby Newman a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-866-989-4499 today and say podcast and get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. That's newmaninterventions.com and the word podcast. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby.
1: So when I say to you, those of you all who are listening, if you suffer from the disease of addiction, if you know of someone who suffers from the, from the disease of addiction, There is hope for you. There is a way out. You do not have to die in your mess. You can call me, um, the Hope Doctor, 443-250-9635. You can look me up on the World Wide Web at hopealiveoutreach.org, hopealiveoutreach.org. You can go to my Facebook page, uh, Basha Jordan, B-A-S-H-A-J-O-R-D-A-N. That's one Facebook page. You can go on another Facebook page. Hope H O P E, and the and the and the number four. And the alphabet U. Hope for you is another Facebook page. Okay. And I have another Facebook page. The pipe and the pulpit.
0: Which is also your book.
1: Which is also my book. The pipe. P.I.P. and the pulpit and uh, on the front of this you know when I was writing this book I was trying to find a coke pipe but I couldn't no, you know I couldn't find a coke pipe I just you know and I was I was trying to get it to the publisher so this is the only pipe that I could get right over top the pulpit right and so sometime when when, when people see the, the book they say what is the pipe for yeah. you know what I'm saying. Oh, you're not a drug no, addict. You I knew. Don't know, you I knew know what the, the pipe was. What for. is the pipe for? You yes. know what I mean. Yeah, me? the, the, the pipe and the pulpit. The yep. pipe. The pipe is is when I was smoking it, and 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 I can, I can remember I had a pipe like something like this. I wasn't smoking cocaine in it, and uh, they said um, when you smoke marijuana or hash, when you inhale, if you if you hold it in, the longer you hold it in the higher you get right. right so I'm in Baltimore and I'm driving this I'm driving this late model Buick and I'm I'm coming up Charles Street it's in the middle of the night it's probably about 11, 11 o'clock eleven thirty at night and I'm and I'm getting ready to make a a, a right-hand turn on, on Mount Royal and I, I'd hit the pipe right and as I'm making the turn I'm holding it in just holding it in and I passed out at the wheel.
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah. Oh my
1: goodness. I I passed right out because I was, hold, you know, and I don't know what happened. So next thing I know, boom, 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 you know, and I woke right up, you know, and I had run into this parked car. Oh boy! And I looked around; nobody was looking, and and, and I had to back out, back back off of it, right? But the bumpers had locked, and so I'm uh. backing off, and I'm pulling this car with me. You oh, know what no. I mean? I'm saying, so, oh my goodness, I. I pulled up and then back, up and back, up and back, and finally, boom, they they unlocked, right? And as I'm pulling out, a police officer pulled right beside me. Oh, boy. Right beside me. And so I, 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 you know, addicts and alcoholics are some great actors. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, great actors and actresses. yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And so I put on that actor face like nothing had happened, and I looked straight ahead, and we pulled up to the light. There was a light right there. You know, I pull right up there to the light and look straight ahead, and he's right. And I'm praying, "Oh God, just don't let him see my bumper." I hope he didn't see that car sticking out there five feet from the curb that I just pulled out. You know what I mean? That I so I made a right hand turn right there, and he went. He went straight. He, he went straight. You know what I mean? But uh, I dodged mean, a
0: bullet. Wow.
1: Uh, let me take this. Is, this is it's kind of funny now, but it, it, don't, now you all are listening. Don't laugh, don't laugh at it, but it's kind, it's kind of funny, really. Okay. <clears throat> My wife didn't know I was smoking reefer. She didn't know that. So I'm the pastor of this church in Baltimore, this big church, right? So we lived in the Parsonage right next door to the church. So whenever I wanted to smoke some marijuana, I would either go someplace else or I would go in the garage because we had a garage. And and I would, you know, smoke some marijuana in the, in the garage. So I'm in the garage this particular day smoking some marijuana, right? And, and so... um, I had just taken a long hit off of this joint, right? And my wife called me. She was on she came out on the back porch and she called me. And I said, Oh my God. And I hope she doesn't come in here. So I so I opened the door of the garage real fast, but I forgot that I'm holding in all this marijuana, right? <laughs> no. So I'm standing there and she's and she said, You hi, what are you doing? I said, and I all I could do was just wave. 'Cause I couldn't I couldn't say anything. I couldn't blow all the smoke out, you know what I mean? I <laughs> right? I, I just waved. She's about twenty five feet from me. So I just waved at her, right? And I waved but I'm standing and all of a sudden I lost consciousness and I passed oh, out. No. I passed out right there in the backyard in the porch, right? And I fell all, all on the ground and everything, oh, right, no. right? And she came over, she took me to everything and I came to She said, What's wrong? What's wrong? I said, Oh, I was just playing <laughs> <laughs> I was just playing. Oh. But I wasn't playing, I'm telling you, yeah. oh boy, oh boy. Wow. But anyhow, when I look back when I look back over my life and having used a drink or drug for thirty years, at some places that I won't even talk about. With some I mean, with some high bottom addicts and some low bottom addicts. Um the people that I got high with back in the sixties and seventies and the early eighties, they are dead. Right. Did. and I mean, I've, and I've gone to many of their funerals. Buried some of them.
0: Yep.
1: As a pastor, as a minister, they called me to bury them.
0: Yep.
1: Uh Especially after I got clean. Right. I remember when I got clean back in 1988, because I went into treatment for 28 days, and and the church didn't know where I was, uh, because the bishop had told me that I, that when I got out I could come back, and I can say anything I wanted to say, but while I was in treatment. He made sure that all the officials in the conference, I was a United Methodist pastor for 23 years, that no one told anybody about where I was. So, right. so back in '88 in Baltimore, the AIDS epidemic was, you know, rampant right. then. So um, people were wondering what was going on, and so somebody put a rumor out that I had AIDS. And so when I got back to the church after 28 days, um, I called a meeting. And, and, uh, which really, if I had to do all over again, I wouldn't have done that because I really did a fifth step in front of everybody when I hadn't even done step one yet. Right. And, um, share with them where I had been and let them know I had been used in all those years. I've been pastor of the church for 88. Let me see. Now, let me see. I was there nine years. So I was seventh. I was in my seventh year. I was in my seventh year there at that church. Um, I stayed two more years. Um, I could have stayed longer, but uh, I stayed there for two, for two more years. But when I called the meeting of the church, I had all these people, you know, over 100 people in the church who came to the meeting and told them. Now, I had, I had a sponsor. I had just gotten out Friday, and I called this meeting. I think it was Sunday night. And, and the gentleman who was my temporary sponsor told me I wouldn't do this if I were you. But I didn't know. I didn't know you right. were supposed to listen to the sponsor. I didn't know basically what the steps were and all. Right. Right. And so um, I told them that I had been using, that I had been in the treatment center and using drugs and alcohol, that sort of thing. And so the choir sang, people cried and everything. They shook my hand, hugged me and all right. And I'll never will forget, there was one lady. Her name was Sister Snowden, a little short lady. She came up, she hugged me and she cried. She said, Reverend, I love you but I wish you hadn't told me.
0: Oh. Yeah. Wow.
1: So it's important if you're in recovery, uh, if you if you want to listen to your sponsor, work the steps in order. Yeah. Work number one before you work number five. <laughs> you know, work number one, work number two before you work number three, all that that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's been a tremendous journey for me. Uh, I've helped a lot of people, traveled all around the United States and carrying a message of hope, uh, speaking, doing conferences, being... On the National Council on Alcohol and Drug Dependency, um, which is a large council, um, I've been on, on on the on the board of the Turk House, which is a large treatment facility in um, in Baltimore. I've I've worked with Father Martin's Ashley, which is a world renowned um, treatment facility in in uh, in Havity Grace, Maryland. It's 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 a it's a high bottom place where it costs a lot of money to go there it's right on the water they got acres and acres of land wow yeah but um worked with CADCA um Community Anti-Drug Coalition of America um in in Washington DC um and now I'm working with the Pinellas County Opioid Task Force
0: that's awesome yes we need you
1: yeah well we And, and, I mean, we
0: need you everywhere, but we definitely need you here in Penelope. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and uh, even though drug and alcohol addiction is not a black or white issue.
0: That's right.
1: However, African-Americans are 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 discriminated against in this arena mm. uh, as far as treatment, as far as accessibility um, to, to help. But I want you to know that uh, there is hope for you. Um, as I mentioned before, and I say this because uh, – uh, our 501c3 is a nonprofit organization. We are, we are determined to help people who suffer from the disease of addiction, primarily drugs and alcohol. You can call me, uh, 443-250-9635. 4- 0- 9- 6- 3- That's 443-250-9635. 0- 9- 6- 3- uh, we can do counseling over the phone, or, or, or over the Internet. Uh, uh, you can go to my website, uh, hopealiveoutreach.org, hopealiveoutreach.org. You go to my Facebook page on the basha b a s h a jordan j o r d a n um i'm i'm solidly uh you know in the recovery and thank god my wife um um is gun ho about what i'm doing
0: and stuck with you huh she's a
1: good woman yeah cuz she was going to leave
0: yeah i i can understand that
1: oh uh, she was going to leave yeah because i was i was out of my mind i was crazy yeah. I, I told her, i told my wife that if she ever went to the bishop and told the bishop that that I was using drugs that I would kill her. Oh. Really? I mean, yeah. and if, in case you all don't know it, if you're using a drink or drug, it'll make you crazy. As a matter of fact, the second step says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now, why in the world would the second step be talking about a restoration to sanity if someone was not insane?
0: Because you lose it on drugs. You, you are insane yeah, on drugs. Sure. All. Yeah. The things that yeah.
1: people do for a drink or a drug... Uh, And when I went into treatment, I did not know that alcohol was a drug. Hey, (laughs) y'all, alcohol is a drug. (laughs) Our literature says many of us have been confused about this. Yep. Really?
0: Yeah. Well, I can tell you, you you already created a bunch of controversy because you pointed out that marijuana is, in fact, a gateway drug. Yes. And every time we talk about that, we get flack on Facebook, and I don't care because 90% Ninety percent of the people that come on this podcast that tell their story of addiction started on marijuana.
1: Started mar- with marijuana, yeah, that's right. And and um, I mean, I've smoked hash. I mean, we don't we don't don't hear about hash today, right? But 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 hash uh, to me was uh, when I was using. I'm, I'm speaking in dope fiend terms now, you all, right? Uh, uh, the hash to me was more powerful than than um, um, uh, marijuana. Hash is, hashes is is, is, is is an opioid derivative. Okay. Um, now, of course, her- heroin. I, I, I can remember. I can remember uh, working working in in the world with some unscrupulous people who were her- heroin addicts. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about pimps and prostitutes. Right. Um, and um, um, I have seen, I have seen, women. Um, shoot dope, shoot, shoot heroin Mm -hmm. and, and seen the progression of being happy and joyful and eyes all open to going into a deep nod when they didn't even know who they were or where they were. Right. Um, But I was determined that I was not going to do that. You know, um, and um, to think, one of the things that I found out in recovery, a lot of, you know, a lot of AAs think they're better than AAs than mm. NAs. Yeah, right. A lot of alcoholics <clears throat> think that they are better than, than drug addicts and that is a misnomer. Uh, addiction that is, is
0: addiction. Th- it is. Yeah. It is.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, you, you, I believe that we have more alcoholics in America than we do drug addicts because alcohol is legal. Right.
0: It's probably true. It's probably true.
1: But today, yeah. because of the opioid epidemic and even in Pinellas County alone, there are 1.5 individuals who are dying every day from opioids alone, right? We're not talking about alcohol. We're talking about opioids, right. and 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 until and until white folks started dying from opioids, there was no opioid epidemic. Black people been dying been dying in numbers. I mean, even in Baltimore, back in the in the eighties, there were hundreds three hundred four hundred people dying in Baltimore alone a year from overdose. Mm-hmm. That's not including individuals. Who uh, were murdered as a direct result right. of <clears throat> drug wars? Um, somebody owed somebody fifteen dollars, yeah. and they shot him. Right. Um, not
0: drug-related not, deaths, th- yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or suicide. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, I can remember. I can remember um, one of the most horrific funerals I ever did in my life. This man, I think he was African. He he, he was. I think he was African. But he was married to this 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 uh, black woman, and they had they had two small children and um the daughter was seven years of age. The son was like five. he hung himself in the bathroom and his daughter found him. Can you imagine the horror of that? They didn't have money to have a an elaborate funeral, so they had a graveside you know where they just brought the body in the casket and and brought it to the cemetery and just set it right there on top of the uh, the hole where they were going to bury him.
0: yeah.
1: And, and a friend of mine was a mortician. Uh, he was standing there. And so they, they got me just to do a little graveside service. And um, somehow or another, they opened the casket. They opened the casket. Okay. <laughs> uh, and and um, the mother, or the wife, and the two children were sitting about... Three feet from the casket. Mm-hmm. I mean, just right there. Right. And when they opened that casket and saw that man, oh my God! Wow. I said, close it.
0: Yeah. Why? Yeah.
1: I why said, why close you it. Do yeah. I'm, the little boy grabbed, just grabbed, just grabbed his mother. The girl just shoved herself up into her mother, and I just, I said, close it. Um, the horror i I bred a boy once in baltimore um it was a drug it was a drug deal it was about i don't know maybe nineteen eighteen shot him out of his shoes you know when you get shot by certain ammunition it it'll it will it will literally take you up out of your shoes wow people don't peop- people you don't don't know that unless yeah. you unless you've seen it right you know um I had, I had a woman in my church who, and I want to talk to some mothers. A woman in my church, her son was a heroin addict. And her attitude was, as long as he's not out in the street, as long as he's using it in the house, he's all right. I'd rather have him in the house, right? She's on her way to church one Sunday morning. She calls her son. He lived in the basement. He didn't answer. She went to go downstairs into the basement. And there he is lying on the steps, dead, with a in his arm. Horrendous. Horrendous. But today, I don't care what race you are, how old you are, what your economic status is. There are too many people dying from this out of Pleasurable ignorance.
0: Right. There are only. Th- they, I used to say there are only two ways out of drug addiction, but there are three if you want to count that. There's recovery. There's going to jail and spending the rest of your life there, or there's death. Yes. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where your loved one is using. Yeah. Doesn't matter whether they're under the bridge or in your basement. They can still die.
1: Yeah, but let me. I want to. I want to say something to persons out there who who may be considering killing yourself considering ODing, considering hanging yourself, considering jumping off a bridge, considering suicide, I want you to know that there is a way. there 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 is a hope for you. That's right. And you don't have to die, but you have to change. That's right. But until the fear of not changing. Becomes greater than the fear of changing. You can change. When you have so much fear that you don't know what to do. And you don't know how to get out of it. When you, when you reach that point in your life. It's time for a change because. There's nothing worse than wanting to die. There's a flip side of that and and it's a desire to live. And you can live today. You can live today. You can live today. And God will put somebody in your life to let you know you can live today. That's right. God's not going to let you die. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been using, or what you're using. God's going to put somebody in your life to let you know that there's a way. Now, if you take it or not, that's up to you. That's right. But there's another way out other than death. That's right.
0: That's exactly right. You
1: can go to treatment. You can go and detox. You can have somebody, you can have me pray for you. As a matter of fact, I want to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come on behalf of that person who's listening right now, whose son, whose daughter, whose, 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 whose loved one, whose mother, whose father, whose uncle, whose grandson, granddaughter, oh, God, is strung out on drugs and alcohol. Oh, God, I plead the blood of Jesus on that person right now. I plead, oh, God, that you would send ministering angels to that person right now. Let them know, oh, God, that there is hope for them. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Doctor Jordan, the Hope Doctor. Thank you,
1: thank you, thank you for, you for doing
0: me. this podcast with us today and Facebook Live. You got people following you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, and if you like our podcast, please go to iTunes and give us a good review. We'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narkanon is a non-12-step
1: rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.